0: A minor correction. Last episode, I gave the god's name as Okunikushi, which is both incorrect and a mispronunciation of the first letter. The name is Okuninushi, and I will correct that this episode and offer my apologies. I must have been possessed by an intelligence training and note-destroying yokai. Minor discrepancy highlighted. On with the show. I find myself at something of a loss on what to tell you in this missive. This is the tale of someone telling you a story in order to win your approval so in essence i would be telling you a story about someone telling you a story meta as the kids say and there is something to that i think and so we will proceed in that manner but what a strange thing the art of storytelling of course i have things i can add foxes see things and words get around to us i was not present for this tale for your brother's telling of it of course i was there for that but not for the actual tale But between your father Izanagi's return to heaven and the first letter, word had gotten around. So many versions of the great dragon's downfall. The version I will tell you will include many of the hyperboles I have heard, and it will explain the origin of your divine sword, which in my last missive you gave to Ninigi on his quest. A sword that will become important to your descendants, as well as the divine mirror and the great jewel. For now... Let us begin with the first letter's arrival. Welcome to Goddessy, Season 3, Episode 7, The Dragon and the Storm. The first letter arrived not by bird, but by demon. A storm cloud rose from the land below and passed over the bridge of heaven, and onto the plain, laughing as it came. How does a cloud laugh, I hear you ask? Well. Not literally. You already know. The cloud had two souls within it, playing drums and letting loose their windbag to remove quickly. They moved quickly until they came to your beautiful palace, whereupon the thundering one said, "'Where is the one who calls herself Queen? The one who hides in a cave where we cannot reach her?' The other one let loose a high laugh, "'The one whose bright sunlight is our enemy!' We have a message from our master for her. Between them, a beast barked, the likes of which I had never seen before. Made of lightning, it seemed to change on every second, a chimera of many things. Your ministers, led by a Kone, spoke, saying, The Empress of Heaven, your master, is inside. We will take the message to her, unkind demons of wind and thunder. Both laughed, and the thundering one let loose the missive, a scroll already unfurled, the Windy One letting loose his bag blowing the message back and forth, causing the ministers below to dance with it, trying to get a hold of it. This brought no end of amusement to the demon, for he was a trickster. As soon as the ministers got the missive, the two were on their way. The missive was short, despite the scroll's length. It was blunt, like its rider. The rider, of course, was Susanoo no Mikoto, your exiled brother in the world below. He said he had ended his watch at the gates of Yomi after a long while and was requesting his exile be ended that he and his household could move to the heavens for he had married into a prestigious household of earth kami. Your ministers advised against this finding his crime still unforgivable. But I think it was curiosity that drove you to writing him a quick and flowing response saying that he and his wife could come to the bridge of heaven and there negotiate his return. Did you intend to actually honor his request, or were you being imperious, wanting to lord over his wife that you now ruled over the earth as well? Or did you miss your divine brother? Whatever the case, soon clouds gathered at the gates of heaven, for your reply was sent by way of solar three-legged crow, your divine messengers. Within days, Susanoo and his wife were coming up to the bridge he had once defended. His clothes were darker, baggier, but more fitting. And he carried with him a sword, not nearly as good in quality as the one he had given you by way of your divine father. You came with your entourage with your remaining sons. Your father also came, and was given a seat of honor beside you. And so, the court gathered there, overlooking the land of the rising sun below, and thus spoke, keeping the exile, in a way. "'Hello, brother,' you said, as kindly as you could. "'I could see a faint memory of your dead handmaiden there.' "'dead under her loom and dead livestock at Susanowo's hand. "'He bowed deeply, not speaking for a moment, "'his face almost on the stone of the bridge. "'A thousand apologies, dear sister. "'I wish I could have come before you sooner, "'but I did not deserve it, and thus I did not ask. "'But I believe my actions and those of my descendants "'seek to honor you, and I have now redeemed myself. "'Please allow me to explain.' This was not the same god you had banished from heaven. This was not the Susanoo of old. His wife, too, bowed, much more elegantly, as if she had been trained that way. She was, after all, a princess. I will hear your arguments, dear brother, for the sake of honesty and because father seems to agree that you have changed, though he is as surprised as I am. Your son, O Kuninushi, Susanoo corrected. Great, 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 great grandson. Not Son. You shot Izanagi a look, and he shrugged. I've heard it both ways. One would think your father could keep up with his own descendants better than us. Your descendant Okuninushi has proved quite the troublesome meddler in my agenda. I see you have helped me in dealing with him. You could tell from that he did not realize that putting Okuninushi in the gates of Yomi had helped you. The stormy god smiled at that. "'His wife was curious to you, so quiet and demure. "'Not the way of the sun-goddess, certainly. "'She almost seemed submissive to your brother, "'but then he was a big personality. "'Perhaps she was complimentary?' "'You have much to tell me, I imagine, brother. "'After all, the sword you gave me was without equal, "'and last we met, you were not a particularly skilled swordsmith. "'So where did the sword come from?' "'Your brother's eyes twinkled with lightning, "'and so began the tale.' Flung from the heaven in exile, he landed in Izumo with a crash, and for a day languished in pain. He was found by an older couple, well-kept and clearly earth Kami. They nursed him back to health, and there he met their daughter, Princess kushi Inada. Each of them was deeply distressed as the night fell, and outside... Susanoo heard what sounded like a storm even larger than anything he had heard before, growling and roaring, and beyond that, a feminine scream that came to an end abruptly. When the scream had come, the old couple and princess began weeping madly. So Susanoo, his senses returning as the storm subsided, asked what was wrong. The couple spoke that a terrible beast, Yamata no Orochi, had demanded that the old couple give one of their daughters to be sacrificed to that beast. Each night, Orochi returned, devouring one of their daughters. This was the seventh night. Tomorrow would be the eighth, and they had only one daughter left. The princess, more beautiful than any Susanoo had ever seen, wept for her own life. The old couple wept not just for this daughter, but for the seven sacrificed daughters. Susanoo felt his resolve return, broken somewhat by his banishment and so Susanoo asked them to tell him about the serpent Orochi and about themselves. Orochi was a serpent with eight heads and eight tails, a writhing mess of destruction. So massive was it that it covered eight valleys as it moved, but it had a great appetite. It was there that Susanoo's plan began brewing. The couple were minor nobility among the earth kami. Ashi and his wife Te Natsuchi— and they were agricultural deities under the service of great Inari, my own master. They focused on rice and how to ferment it, indeed. They were the makers of great divine sake. The second part of Susanoo's plan began to form then, and so he and princess Kushin Inada got to work. They set up an area near the sacrificial valley and filled eight tubs full of sake, enough to feed the imperial court of heaven two times over, divided over the eight barrels. Susanoo then spoke the plan that they would lure the serpent Orochi here, and letting its gluttonous state overtake the serpent Orochi would fall into a deep sleep. Only then would Susanoo attack. It was a clever trick, and cleverness keeps one alive. Without this plan, there was no way to succeed, for the writhing serpent was too much for anyone. But they had to lure it, and Susanowo elected to use himself for that over the protests of the princess and the old couple, for they had come to love Susanowo in such a short span of time. But he would not hear it. He had to do this. I have heard it said among the agricultural deities that some suspected it was a suicide mission, and indeed, I share this opinion. Who expected this to work? And so, when night fell, the old couple and their daughter hid out nearby, watching while Susanemo, having only his replacement 10-span sword, stood in the valley. The rumbling came like thunder from the earth, for each movement caused the earth to echo. Sixteen red lights like red cherries came from the sky, and soon he realized they were Yamata no Orochi's eyes. The serpent was so large that an entire floating island appeared. For indeed, great trees grew on the back of the serpent, undisturbed by the serpent's slithering and walking as it came out of the sea. It did indeed cover eight valleys and rivers, and came to rest before Susanowo. Who is this that interrupts my feeding? I have come for the final daughter of the farmer and his wife. Susanowo spoke fearlessly. I am the storm god, Susanowo no Omikami. Son of great Izanagi, and brother of bright Matarasu, recently returned to the sky. Who is it that comes here, seeking trouble? Orochi laughed in an eight voices at once, and then spoke as one. I am Orochi, the serpent from the sea, the eight-span dragon serpent. I have come to devour their daughter. Sassanamo laughed. I have heard, great serpent, but I have come to offer my own offering. Take and drink from these vats of sake, as a gift from myself. Orochi considered, then like a storm broke, drowning itself in the sake. Each barrel of sake was drank in second, and soon the serpent began to wobble, for not only was it sake, but it was poisoned sake. The sake was full of herbs that made one sleepy and the great and terrible orochi had drank so much as to kill a man but orochi was not a man and soon lay down to sleep not realizing the peril before it as soon as it fell asleep susanowa drew his sword and began hacking he hacked and hacked and hacked removing each head destroying the back which had a whole forest growing upon it and removing its tails that is until the final tale. The eighth tale had something in it, which upon striking it, Susanoo's sword broke, sending half the blade flying into the air. Using his hands, Susanoo dug into the flesh of the creature until he found the hilt of a blade, which he withdrew. It was a blade without equal, of a make he had never seen before. He named it Ame no Murakumo no Tsurugi, the Heavenly Sword of Clouds Gathering. Of course, this name would not stick. Today it is known as the Grass-Cutting Sword. Why? Perhaps we'll discuss it one day. With the bones and meat of Orochi, and with Susanoo's support, the old couple soon grew powerful and respected. Their clout increased among the earth kami. They offered Susanoo their daughter's hand in marriage. He accepted, and soon they had a large family with generations among kami and humanity that became quite powerful, culminating in O Kuninushi, His tale we have hinted at, and his tale deserved to be told on their own. So let us return to your tale rather than the one who troubled you so. That is a good tale. You did a good thing by destroying Yamata no Orochi, for he could have threatened much more of the land. Indeed, you appear to have become a great hero in the land below, to the humans and to the earth kami. My ministers and our esteemed father have told me such tales of your heroism. This is what you said when he concluded his tale, and the court largely nodded in agreement. But Sasanawa shook his head. That may be so, but I should have been a hero long ago for you, Imperial Sister. Our Heavenly Father Izanagi had instructed me to defend you, and instead I let my stormy nature and arrogance get in the way. I disrupted the natural order of things, and I dishonored our family and the heavens. Do I deserve to return to heaven? I doubt it but I leave that to you. The important thing is that I am your servant evermore, and I bow to you, sister, and defend heaven and earth from the great monsters of the cosmos. My deepest apologies, Amaterasu. He and his wife and household bowed. You were silent for a moment. The entirety of heaven was silent, too. No wind, no bird, no voice rose in that moment as you stared at your brother's bowing waiting for even a flicker of emotion. It came with a faint smile and the many sounds of Kami and yokai releasing their breaths upon your smile. I have one question, dear brother. Your messengers, were they not the same as those who came from Yomi, sent by our esteemed mother? Susanoo nodded, laughing. Raiden and Fujin, thunder and wind spirits, and their pet, Raiju. They are beings born of Yomi, but ones I have purified, in a way. Tricksters and destroyers, yes, but those are necessary actions. I am chaotic, and I cannot change my nature. The chaos is needed to enhance order. We are not opposed, sister. If a forest becomes overgrown, it poses a threat to the lands around it. It must be burned from time to time, though that destruction can often be overwhelming. But the land will be better for it, will it not? Thus, I have employed Raiden and Fujin. If this is not to your liking, I can only apologize. Yokai and Bakemono are better fit to our service than left to their own devices. I think we all saw the truth in that, even a wily Kitsune like me. I am but a simple yokai, in a manner of speaking. Then I welcome you home, Susano'o no Mikoto. That you may maintain a home here and on earth as well, and maintain the storms of the world. Watch for threats to us all, and count your exile as over. And with that, the two remaining siblings of the heavens embraced, and the family was restored at last. And so concludes that tale, the tale of Susanimo's banishment. I think Susanimo did neglect one thing, and I suspect he failed to realize it himself. He helped bring the earth, Kami, under your control through his own influence. And by extension, the eyes of the humans are now turned upward to the heavens, asking for rain and for sun. While your light shines, sometimes you need a cloud to remind you of the sun's power. Let us return to the final part of your tale. Your descendants on earth continued to grow in power and strength, but many were their enemies. Let me tell you what the foxes of earth have told this old fox of the clan we now call the Yamato. Susanoo is the second most well-known being in Japanese myth outside of Japan, and quite popular for it. He fills the same role as Marduk to Tiamat, Zeus to Typhon, Thor to Yormungandar. Indeed, it has been suggested that Susanoo's story is so unlike typical Japanese folklore that it must be an import, following the archetypal schema of a hero against a chaos being yet this also often ignores his redemption. Western retellings of Susanoo fail to mention anything after his marrying into the Earth Kami. This is because in Japan there are competing canons, with Susanoo sometimes just staying on Earth for the remainder of his terrestrial life, or taking his father's place and just staying there at the gates of Yomi, which conveniently is also in Izumo, where Susanoo and Orochi's tale takes place. Careful listeners will have recognized the name of Raiden if you grew up in the 90s. Raiden is a key character in Mortal Kombat, though he is no real connection to the Japanese god proper because he is a lightning god rather than a thunder god. You'll note a difference. The American pronunciation is Raiden, while the proper Japanese is Raiden or Raiden. Also, images of Raiden in Japanese myth are much closer to a Buddhist-style demon than a white dude in a funny hat. His partner, Fujin, is actually much more interesting to study. There are suggestions, strong ones, that Fujin is none other than the Greek god of the north winds, Boreas himself. Bear with me here. Boreas is the god of the north wind in Greek myth. A frosty fellow. Alexander the Great's exporting of Greek myth and art spread beings like Boreas around the world, called Hellenism. In India and Afghanistan, the nature of Boreas changes somewhat, and he gains a kind of bag of wind that he uses to blow things around. Around this time, Buddhism was spreading north into China, and Buddhists and Silk Road traders took Boreas, who by then had a much more indigenous name, into China, where he continued to evolve with the influence of Buddhism, Chinese belief systems, and ultimately, time. By the 7th century CE, Buddhism is imported into Japan, bringing with it a number of monsters and new ideas. Among them, Fujin, who along with Raiden, remains one of the most well-known yokai in japanese understandings they held from yomi the underworld which itself has buddhist overtures and may be a version of the realm of yama king of the dead susanuo basically took their lunch money and became their boss yamata no orochi is another curiosity as mentioned earlier serpents tend not to act like orochi and orochi is often more depicted as a dragon than not indeed orochi is perhaps more well known to a western audience than many realize King Ghidorah, of Godzilla fame, is an adaptation of Orochi, albeit with three heads instead of eight. I assume budgets and logistics go a long way in that choice. Still, Orochi may have more in common with Tiamat, the Mesopotamian primordial serpent who churns the sea and constantly creates, and from whom the gods craft the world. But in this Japanese telling, the defeat of Orochi, often presented as an it or a he rather than Tiamat's definite she, is accomplished through very Japanese means, through trickery and drinking. Heroes in Japan often use the vices of their enemies against them, whether it's getting the King of Oni drunk, or getting giant serpents drunk. Maybe don't get drunk in Japan. Next episode, we dive into the human side of Amaterasu, more literally than not. I won't be retelling these myths in full detail, as I'm less interested in the human stories of the Kojiki and Nihon Shoki, but nonetheless, it's key to understanding why Amaterasu remains important to Japan today. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional research and editing by Sidney Eger, who don't need no storm god to beat up giant snakes. Music by Scott Buckley, whose Creative Commons music can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. Goddessy is more than a podcast, when Facebook allows it to be. We're also on social media, posting all sorts of fun stuff and amazing facts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and send me a storm. Seriously, I moved to Florida, and we don't get a single hurricane? Arkansas gets two hurricanes and I get nothing? What the hell, Florida? If you like the show, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast service of choice. If we're not on the podcast service of your choice, let me know, and I'll attack my tech guy to get on that lazy bum. If you want to support the show more directly, check us out on Patreon and Coffee. And as always, be sure to share the show with a friend, or you'll face the wrath of a yokai parade with a thousand monsters in it. That deserves an episode in and of itself. Goddessy updates every Monday. See you next week.